Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I am joined by Will. I've got heaps of technical difficulties. Mjerden, how is it going tonight, William? I am just working with cords, pulling stuff left and right at the moment, but I'm Don't well. Don't be pulling stuff left and right, dude. That is dangerous. Didn't your mother ever tell you, teach you anything? About not left and right, it's up and down. <laughs> Something like that. Ugh, off to a fly early. How's it going today, mate? We... Uh, you know, we're into week five already and somehow this thing is just cruising through and we're going to be like at the halfway point before you know it. So um, how do you feel about, obviously we've got a big show to get to, but how are you feeling about today's slate? The Big Ten feel closer away because they've entered the top 25 poll. Your initial thoughts on games this week? Yeah, I'm thrilled for it. Now, just having the SEC back makes such a massive difference. There's a couple of real good matchups there a couple of ranked matchups for us to get our teeth into uh lord knows the acc is really not providing a lot of content this week for this us week to... this week this week hey i've been this I've, week only i i've been big on the acc this year i think they've been great I, I like seeing miami up and about and and making another team there i think it's great having notre dame involved in there so that's brilliant. A little bit disappointing this week, but having the SEC and the Big 12 carry some load, there's plenty. And we've got a long weekend this weekend too, so we can really get after it on the Saturday night and then get up early on Sunday night, Monday morning as well to watch the NFL. So lots of football ahead. Yeah. I mean, I'm a th- I think I'm away this weekend, so... Uh, yeah, I'm going to be dragging the chain a little bit in terms of what we do, but hopefully I'll be able to catch up on all the interesting storylines that are occurring. And you're right, there is a, a bit of a lack of quality work in the Big 12 and the ACC this this week. But you know, with only a couple of top-end games, we do get to talk about those, and we will hit all those in-game previews. We've got championship draft to get to. We've got bold predictions. We go on the punt again because you're in such a good spot financially now. You'll be able to talk us through all that. And we've got a couple of fair dinkums as well, um, which is great. But I actually think this week is is a really good week in terms of being able to follow your team if your team is lucky enough to be playing this week. And then secondly, be able to follow the other one or two games that are the showcase games and the headliners this week. Sometimes I find that when all five conferences are in and there's games going on all over the place, it sort of feels like you're a parent with four toddlers trying to kind of keep them all in in one kind of general location and have an understanding about all of them, um, which I assume is a thing that happens for people with four toddlers. I mean, I I have zero children, so I can only imagine how horrific that must be. But yeah, that's kind of my take on it this week, which is great. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there are times where you get so caught up trying to keep across all of the games that you don't truly enjoy any of them because you're just kind of bouncing around. There are some times where that's great, though, where you do have a lot going on and then you just kind of dial into the one that is most interesting and that turns out to be a good game. This week will be a good opportunity to certainly watch some of the teams that we haven't seen this year, especially in the SEC. Yeah, I like getting into the ebbs and flows of the game. Like I went back and watched the Texas Texas Tech game um, in its entirety. Uh, watched the Kansas State Oklahoma game, and there's just you just don't get the full experience from uh, you know just watching the the highlights or the the abbreviated the abridged versions that you do. But gee, that Texas Texas Tech game, for example, had so many special teams plays and so many crazy weird plays in it, and you just didn't get a feel for that in the highlights. Anyway, the last thing I did want to bring up before we move into some news and other bits and pieces 
is that one thing I've noticed more so probably in the NFL, but it still happens at the college level as well is uh, coaches with their play call sheets, their laminated play call sheets, historically have always covered their mouths as they're speaking the play sheets into the microphones, which obviously has its place. You don't want people stealing signals. You don't want people getting a hint of what you might be doing. However, now that everyone is wearing face coverings that make them look like Bane from Batman and then still covering their mouths with those laminated play sheets, I find quite hilarious because if people are stealing those signals, like they're not the New England Patriots. So they've got to be like the sneakiest of sneaky coaches to be able to somehow rip those play calls. That's just muscle memory. That's just uh, subconscious uh, happening there. You know, subconscious actions are 90% of what we do. So that's that in full effect there, my friend. All right, let's get into some news. Okay, JT Daniels has been medically cleared to play for Georgia. This was around the knee injury that he suffered at USC and Kirby Smart says that he hasn't yet made a decision on who the starter is likely to be, but he did defend Dewan Mathis and Stet, uh, in press conferences and then Stetson Bennett, of course, played a pretty reasonable game for Georgia against Arkansas. Which way do you think this one goes, Will? I think as soon as JT Daniels is available, he'll be back and starting at Georgia there. Whilst the others are obviously going to be serviceable quarterbacks, anyone at the University of Georgia or those big-time SEC schools will be obviously a decent quarterback. Even their fifth-string walk-on would run rings around some of the group of five guys. Uh, JT Daniels is the man. I expect him to take that job, and he's going to be really important if they are going to stack up with Florida and try and win the East. Ohio State welcomes back future first-round draft pick cornerback Sean Wade and future kind of day one pick I suppose at guard in Wyatt Davis this is two massive re-ins for the Buckeyes and they've got to be really happy um, just being out of play and plug in a you know future first round draft pick and shut down corner in Sean Wade like that would be a massive out and getting these two guys back in is something they probably didn't expect and they'll be must be happy with that so many opt-ins. I, I, th yeah. I find this really, really strange that we had all of these opt-outs and then now they're all opting in. So they obviously didn't sign with an agent and take any financial benefits for them to be able to opt back in. But why fucking opt-out in the first place? Is it just like a media thing just to get your name out there and get a bit of attention and look at me, look how good I am? Oh, actually, no, now we can play. I'm back in. Like, no shit, you opted out. The whole conference did. We don't yeah. need you as an individual telling us that you did that too. So all a bit odd for me, but happy to see these playmakers back because the game is better with them. Okay, Notre Dame, as we need to blitz through this, Notre Dame loses 18 players to COVID tests. This will be not the first time this happens throughout the year, but disappointing for the Irish. Uh, I don't know the names of those exactly at this stage, but they've lost a lot of players over the last kind of week. Uh, this will definitely impact on depth. And depth is more the issue here. Not necessarily losing the top-end players that, you know, you can probably fill in a wide receiver at a school like Notre Dame week to week. It's can you put four defensive tackles out <laughs> onto the field and, and what happens when you get into the fourth quarter and someone does an ankle and all of a sudden you're putting, you know, um, corduroy bloody leg string out at defensive tackle to try and you know make some plays and he weighs all of like 38 kilos ringing wet 
what's going to happen there. So yeah, well, and they're putting this one down to a tainted meal, pregame meal. They reckon is is where it's come from, which I thought it was strange. Uh, but you are right; it is very much that positional depth too. It makes sense that it is going to be those sorts of groups that get hit because that's who you spend all of your time with on a team. You are in close quarters with your receiver room with your defensive line and whatever group you're part of that's where you're spending all your time that's where all your contact is with so if one of those group are to go down it's more likely that it's going to be others within there and and there's going to be a real risk and the last bit of news i have it's not actually news i just wanted to bring this up because we didn't hit it in our recap show last week but the iowa state tcu game had one of the greatest commentary calls that i have heard in a long time if you haven't i should have had it on the rewind segment but if you haven't heard it um there was a blitz a cornerback blitz on brock purdy uh that didn't get home and it came from the defense's left the offense's right it was a cornerback blitz and and um van zant was the player and he overcooked it didn't make the tackle and kind of ended up just getting spat out onto the opposite side of the field behind the line of scrimmage, which kind of sounds hard to envisage in your own head. But from there, Brock Purdy managed to get tackled by another player and throw a pass. I assume he was trying to throw it out of bounds, which would have been intentional grounding anyway. But he threw it straight to him. And this dude just stood up, caught the ball at about the 10-yard line and walked it in for a touchdown. But this clip is absolutely epic. Look out, Purdy is... Whoa, what is he doing? What is Brock Purdy doing? Touchdown, TCU. Kendrick Van Zandt. Van Zandt was the guy, and I just found that to be one of the great calls in college football up there with the other you know, great clips we've heard from the Michigan-Michigan State game or Mike Gundy going bananas or whoever it is, Mike Leach or um, the old ball coach you know, going crazy in... A, in a press conference. I think that was hilarious. It's certainly something I'll look to start to rep in at work when I'm not happy with something. What are you doing? What <laughs> are you doing? And no I one will love, get it, but I'll enjoy I just, it. I just love when a commentator just cannot quite rationalize what the decision-making process is, especially for someone as experienced as Brock Purdy. Anyway, let us move on. We do need to get into... Before we start our game previews, we're going to hit fair dinkum. Uh, This is a segment that allows us to discuss the big headlines of the week or kind of make some headlines up, I suppose, and decide whether these things are correct, are they fair dinkum, or are they absolutely not um, so you've got a couple for me this week, William. So why don't you... I do. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. My first one here, after watching the performance last week, I believe that FSU, the Florida State Seminoles, are the worst team in the ACC. Is that a fair dinkum statement? Uh, I've got a long pause there because I immediately jumped to, well, who are the other... Who are the other teams that would be the worst in the conference? And you immediately come to the fact that Georgia Tech are transitioning out of their triple option and it must be Georgia Tech. Having said that... They lost. Georgia, Georgia Tech then Georgia went Tech. and beat Florida State. So then where do you go to next? You go to Syracuse, but Syracuse just beat Duke. 
You go to Duke. Duke sort of hung around with Notre Dame and they're a little bit frisky at times. You go to Wake Forest and they... They've looked all right. They've 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 done some okay stuff with that really slow uh, read option game that they have. But they don't look like as bad as Florida State. I think Florida State are in a horrific point. I think that's I think that's a fair dinkum statement at the moment. That might be a little bit harsh. I don't think they'll finish the season there. I think if you ask me that in six weeks' time, different story potentially. But the biggest concern for me around Florida State is what is going on in that locker room. They just have a lack of leadership from Mike Norvell. He hasn't landed particularly well. The playing group is a mess. There's injuries. There's opt-outs. There's, you know, you saw Tamari and Terry get completely frustrated. Marvin Wilson gets booted from the game. I know he didn't mean to. Like, it wasn't a... It was a big dude making a play downfield and crack skulls with someone. And he's been, like, a, a pretty good leader. But the offensive line's a mess. James Blackman looks horrific as a quarterback, just in terms of someone who's a confident, strong, um, assertive leader, which... When you when you don't have a quarterback, you're like Miami hasn't had a quarterback. I'm so used to seeing play like that. So when I see it, I'm like, uh, I I feel you in lots of ways, Florida State. I I get it, but you know he's passive in so many ways. The the defensive uh, lineup for them, which has always always been so strong, looks weak and and watered down, and then. You saw stuff on the sideline like Asante Samuel Jr. was giggling away on the sideline when they're down by 40 points against a rival. Is that what you want to see? I don't know. Uh, They are a mess at the moment and not just in terms of the results on the field. It's what's going on off the field as well that has me really concerned for the Seminoles. Yeah, and Jacksonville State is coming. Watch out. I mean, they've got a 27-point line. Hell, I don't know. I was kind of hoping it was Jackson State, so... Deion Sanders could coach against his old college team. <laughs> that would have been good. That, that absolutely would have been good. All right. Um, I'll, go, I'll go next then. The SEC has the worst quarterbacks of all the conferences, all the Power Five conferences, potentially all the conferences, but I'm going to say all the Power Five conferences. Take this as a list. Dewan Mathis and Stetson Bennett were rough at Georgia. Joe Nix, our boy Joe Nix at Auburn. Um, Terry Wilson at Kentucky. Miles Brennan at LSU. Sean Robinson, Missouri. Kellen Mond at A&M was pretty bad. Jarrett Guarantano at Tennessee has been inconsistent. Felipe Franks at Arkansas was a mess at Florida and has got off to a slow start at Arkansas. Ken Seals, never heard of the guy, but he's at Vandy. I mean, SEC have to have the worst quarterbacks of all the conferences shortly. I do not believe they have the worst quarterbacks of all the conferences. I think we are yet to see what the Pac-12 is going to wheel out. I think the ACC outside of the big Trevor Lawrence, obviously, Derek King's uh, an elite talent. And then Sam Howe. Ian Book. Howe overrated, I guess. You've you've got to give him some credit. Who else then? Uh... Who we got? We've got uh, James Blackman. He's really good. We just spoke about how good he is. We did, didn't we? <laughs> um, I think there's an give abundance. Give me a second. Give me a second. Okay, you, you can have it, but there's an abundance of subpar quarterback. The top play. end's good, though, in the ACC. Yeah, and that that's probably fair uh, because anyone that has Trevor Lawrence in their group automatically gets catapulted <laughs> up. Like, he, he is that good. But the... 
SEC with Kyle Trask really showing out week one, he could potentially be a top three guy. Like he, he looks really, really sure. good. Certainly. Uh, Mac Jones is probably the most underappreciated player in all of college football, I think. I think I think it's just he's got a boring name, Mac Jones. Like it's it's not I don't know. Surely there's like a left guard somewhere that's more underappreciated. Yeah, so he's Jones. just an absolute baller, like <laughs> superstar, but no one fucking knows his name. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah, eating dudes' right. faces. You're probably no right. one watches interior linemen. But in the quarterback world, like Mac Jones is a top twenty five quarterback at the college football level and I think people think of him and because he's not to her and he's not top five he's automatically like uh outside the top 100 sort of guy and it just ain't the case he, he's a quite a good player and he certainly could be a guy to guide them to a national championship that's not blowing anyone's mind if that happens mm. he's got great mm. supporting help for it don't get me wrong but he can make it work uh i think kellen mond you're right was ugly early but still has a good opportunity to step forward you didn't yeah mention, we've heard that for three years now but that's great yep <laughs> you didn't mention the newcomer to the group in kj costello who is going to have the best numbers in all of college football by the looks of things this year and in sec history no doubt but he's a system guy he's a system quarterback we saw him struggle uh, at times at stanford he was good but he had a down year with injuries mixed in there. That happens. He, he could if Barry Bonds that. gets an asterisk, if USC, uh, sorry, UCF gets an asterisk, then sorry, KJ Costello, but you work with Mike Leach, so therefore your numbers get a little asterisk next to it. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. He'll take that all the way to the NFL, mate. He'll, he'll laugh all the way to the NFL with your little asterisk. Yeah, like Gardner Minshew did. I, I don't want to kind of labour on it too long. I don't think that they do, but the fact that there is a debate here is certainly an interesting one because the SEC is seen as the Premier Conference. You would think the Premier position in the Premier Conference would be stacked and loaded, and it just simply is not the case across the board, whilst they do have a number of good players. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, and for sure, and probably, um, yep. All right, my Let's turn. I'm going to round on. this one out. I'm going to stick in the SEC, and whilst we're kind of whacking them a bit here, I'm going to say that... The oh, Jesus, S- dude, come on, seriously. You've talked about bloody jerking off left and right, you're whacking them, and you're bloody tugging things. I no one else's head was going there. That's just you, mate. You got a bit going on. Um, school holidays, rough times, rough times. <laughs> yeah, school holidays. That's it. What uh, else do you do? SEC defenses are not what they used to be. So week one for the SEC, we have seen points galore. We've seen yards galore. We've had LSU, this former badass defensive powerhouse, just get torched for the tune of something like seven hundred yards. I don't think that they are what they used to be. They they were they used to pride themselves on not giving up more than ten points a game, and it regularly happened. Now that just isn't the case. I don't believe they are what they used to be. I think they are. I think you still look at the elite defensive playmakers. You still look at the guys getting drafted higher in the 
in the draft on on defensive positions, whether it's the Marlon Davidsons of the world, whether it's Derek Stingley moving forward or a safety from Alabama that's going to get picked, whoever it might be. I think offensive and the and the game has changed. I actually don't think the defenses have changed too much, but all of a sudden you bring the air raid to the SEC. The biggest concern, I mentioned this last week, is that when Paul Johnson came to the ACC and he brought the triple option, it threw people for a year. We know that Washington had their way with Washington State in the air raid with lesser defensive talent. Not by much. Washington's defense were always really well coached and and good players. But SEC defenses, when they work out this air raid stuff, they're going to start, I I believe, are going to start taking over and, and have their way a little bit more. But you're also comparing that with a time with Alabama and their you know, spread out offense. You had Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator at Old Miss with Jordan Tamu doing really good stuff um, and putting up yards. And now you've got Lane Kiffin, a really good offensive mind. You've got Dan Mullen, a really good offensive mind. So I actually don't think this is a reflection of the defenses being bad necessarily. And if you look at the recruiting, the defenses are still going to remain strong always in SEC country. I just think that for once, the offenses are starting to... A, catch up or possibly B, surpass what defense has become. And this is the way of new football now. It's offense first. And at this stage, the SEC offenses have gone ahead of the defenses. We're not going to see, you know, 11 to 7 games anymore. That's not what the SEC is about. It's going to be, you know what, let's throw the ball 1,100 times and see what comes of it with... uh, you know, at Mississippi State. I think on top of that, you mentioned LSU, but they had like 30 undergraduates uh, or juniors declare for the draft. That's unheard of. And they lost so many players. And the, the, one, the one big name they returned, Derek Stingley, didn't play on the weekend. So I think, whilst I don't believe in LSU, don't get me wrong, but I just watched Patrick Queen go and start for the Baltimore Ravens and he declared early. Like I just want watched him take on the middle linebacking job and actually play a really, really good game against the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL. And he's a good player, but he could still be in a Tigers uniform. He's not because he wants to get paid, and I get that. But it's, it's not a defensive thing to me. It's an offensive thing. I'm not sure this is unheard of. I think Alabama and LSU have been putting up with this sort of turnover for years LSU have not nobody has it's unprecedented the amount of guys Alabama would argue that they would in in their heyday when they were doing it they would routinely be sending a dozen players in the first three rounds yeah they would be but when you lose 30 dudes to the NFL in one season that just doesn't happen that never happened to anyone that is and I know some of those guys are on the offensive side of the ball as well um, but to me, I, I just I think the defenses will catch back up. I, I've got no doubt about that because I still think where do you want to be if you're going to get paid in the NFL? Where do you want to be? And cornerbacks get paid now. Defensive ends get paid, so there's still a market for those guys. Where do you not want to be? You don't want to be a two down thumper at linebacker. That's what you don't want to be. Anyway, we're getting. Way hanging up here in, in some other stuff, but I don't think that's a fair Dinkham statement. So let's push on. Let's get to some game previews. All right, we are going to start in the ACC because this won't take long. Um, and ooh, I don't know where you want to go. NC State at number 24, Pitt. Pitt win big, I'm assuming. Their defense will stifle. 
NC State and it's not going to be close. I don't think Pitt win big in anything. I just don't I mean, think that's they, true. they have that in them. They win, by yes. Big, by big, I mean 17-7. to seven. Yeah, I, I, I think a couple of touchdowns, 21-7 maybe. But it won't ever be close. No. Yeah. All right, number 12, North Carolina at Boston College. Uh, this is a, an interesting one because North Carolina are a team that everyone is really big on this year. Uh, they didn't show a whole heap in their early one against Syracuse, so they were slow no, to start. Struggled. Actually. Struggled early and then piled it on in the last. So it, there obviously is something there and, and they co- can go. Boston College were obviously really impressive in their first up win for their new coach over Duke. And Not so much last week against Texas and State. And then last week struggled against, yeah... Uh, a, a Bobcats team that was... A plucky Bobcats team, but someone <laughs> that they certainly should have done a lot better than. So for me, this is one that North Carolina uh, do do work in. You know I'm not big on these guys, but they will certainly have enough to get over the top of Boston here. That might, that, I might touch on that in my bold prediction later. Jacksonville State play their first game of the year and will look to get started on a, in winning style against Florida State. I assume... We're all picking the Jacksonville State. I don't know what they are. The Jaguars? I'm going to say the Jaguars. Jacksonville State don't want to get caught looking ahead here. Uh, (laughs) I know that they've got like FIU on the horizon that they've got to be worried about. I mean, seriously, the fact that we are making these jokes kind of talks to the sad state of FSU. And I can't wait for Mike Norvell to turn this thing around. But it's not going to be this year. You know... Florida State are probably pretty happy they don't play too many out-of-conference games this year because that could get ugly for them. Uh, Moving right along, Virginia Tech, who looked really, really impressive in their opener, head to Durham, North Carolina, to take on Duke. The Hokies um, were fantastic against um, NC State, and they missed a whole bunch of dudes, 23 in fact, including Hendon Hooker, their starter, at quarterback, um, but he appears to be back in the starting lineup at this stage. Tech ran the ball really, really well last week with five different players carrying the rock at least five times. So they appear to be set to do that again against an uh, against a Duke team that I don't know. I, I, I was I was kind of okay on them early. I thought offensively they'll do some stuff. Defensively they're struggling. I think Virginia Tech look. Justin Fuente has. I've been very negative on him. In fact, he went backwards for his first three years and he had an okay year last year. This year, he looks set to to make some changes um, and for things to to finally head in a positive direction for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I agree. This was... Last year was supposed to be a building year for Virginia Tech and they were... Uh, one close loss in against Virginia in a rivalry game away from playing in the championship game. They brought back almost everyone this year. Uh, a lot of them didn't play last week because of COVID, but this is a good team this year and their talent is certainly a lot uh, greater than Duke's is at this point. They've dropped their first three. They're not a very good football team this year. I expect Virginia Tech to do this one quite comfortably. And lastly, we've got Virginia Tech heading to Death Valley to take on the number one team in the country in Clemson. Uh, Now, the Tigers are certainly not what they have been in years past, but they probably have one of the best uh, offenses in the country, I suppose, with Trevor Lawrence 
Uh, Travis Etienne. Uh, they got Amari Rogers playing from that his slot position, and I don't see a world in which Virginia win this one. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Cavs and the Tigers? If there is anything to add. No, certainly not on the road. Maybe if it was at home for Virginia, there might be that weird chance that Clemson looked to drop this one, but I just can't see it happening on the cards this week. I feel like Clemson have got a weird... There's going to be weird losses this year because everything is in conference and they're going to get caught out somewhere. There's less bye week. Someone's going to come unstuck and and Clemson possibly drop some somewhere and I, I don't think this is it but don't be surprised if you know we, we saw it from the big 12 last year but don't be surprised if we get a year this year where a two lost team makes a playoff or again not saying this is the week but anyway uh let's push on into the big 12 so sorry there acc fans we haven't given you much but there's not much to get too excited about um unless something arrives and then we'll talk about it on sunday the big 12 there will be something entertaining here I said this in the get-off, that there will be a good game here, and you need to tell me, William, throughout these little previews, which one it is going to be. You need uh, The challenge is there at your feet. You need to decide which of these five games is going to be the one that we should watch. So let's start with TCU at number nine, Texas. Josh Moore and Sam Ellinger have developed an awesome chemistry in the in the early part of the season. Ellinger's possibly the number one quarterback in the country at the moment, statistically. 10 touchdowns, one interception. Um, He's gone 52 of 73, which is really, really good numbers in only a couple of games. So he's looking really, really good early. Uh, TCU's past defense kept Iowa State mostly in check with Brock Purdy. I don't know if they can do it again against a more dynamic and in-sync passing attack. This could be... I, th- I think this is a game where Texas actually get out in front and do this one at a canter. Yeah, I believe you're right with that. I think last week's shock surprise win in the end, but that little uh, kind of fright that they got put through them will certainly have them up and about and ready to go. And I would be imagining that Tom Herman is now feeding off of that to say that that tempo we were playing at when we were 15 down needs to be our standard. That's where we're at every play from the the first whistle to the end of every game from here on out. And I think that will start to wane and there is going to be somewhere along the line where they're going to get clipped, but it's not going to be this week. They're going to come in. They're going to establish the run against TCU. And I think they do do this one quite easily. Well, they've got some really... They've actually got a stable of running backs with Keontae Ingram. They've got Bijan Robinson, who's a five-star running back for Texas, and he's the first one they've had there for a number of years. Um, tried to kill himself last week. I hope you did go back and watch that clip because he nearly noodled himself. Um, but, you know, they've, they've got a lot of good running backs and, you know, they've got Cosme on the offensive line who should be a day one draft... Uh, well, sorry, not a day one draft pick. He should be a... Uh, first round draft pick um, as well. So they've got some good pieces, Texas. They're probably just lacking a little bit um, defensively, but who isn't in the Big 12? All right, Baylor at West Virginia. I think this one could be interesting as well. This is probably, if I had to pick a game that would be close, I reckon I might pick this one. I don't really know why, but I would pick this. I wouldn't choose to watch it at this stage, but... 
I think this one could be interesting. You've got Dave Aranda in his second game on the road. A far bigger battle for them than Kansas last week. You're not getting two touchdowns on speckle, on speckle teams, on special teams. Um, and this is against a West Virginia team that should be able to move the ball on offense. Baylor are actually favorites, slight favorites on the road, which is always dangerous. I, I don't mind taking a home dog. Um But Charlie Brewer, can he back up a sound offensive week? And will Baylor win this one, Will? Yeah, I really like this game. I think this is probably the one that's going to be the closest matchup in the Big 12. So take that as you will. I I think Baylor are the better team, but West Virginia in Morgantown is a tough ask. Uh, Even though they will obviously have the reduced fans there, it's still going to be a tough place to play. That is a tough road trip. This is a relatively inexperienced Baylor team going through a lot of change. So I expect to see some dicey stuff happening there. Dave Aranda has his work cut out for him, but Matt Rule did an excellent job. He built an excellent program up from the ground there. And I think it's more continuing on what he was doing rather than rebuilding again from the ground up. So I expect Baylor to win, but I think this is the one that could certainly go either way. Yeah, I'll be keeping a close eye on the Big 12 this week. All right, uh, middle game. I think this is going to be the worst game of the week, and that is number 17, Oklahoma State, heading to Kansas. I hope so. I really hope this is the worst game of the week because if it's not, then something has gone terribly wrong for my Cowboys, and I want no part in it. So I will be dialing into this one, but I hope none of our fans out there have any need to flick over to that game at all. This has to be a get-right game for Oklahoma State. Like, they have struggled out of the blocks. Is there any chance that they're... I mean, 17's not high. Let's be honest here. Oklahoma State have been way higher than that before. Is there, are they playing a bit tight this year though? Are they? It just seems. It all seems a bit like we spoke about it earlier. Um, Tuba Hubbard looks like he's forcing a lot. Is the offense, you know, really pressing to try and win rather than allowing it to come kind of more organically and just, you know, ease themselves into games and ease themselves into contests and wins. No, I, I think losing starting quarterback Spencer Sanders is in the first quarter of the first game has had a massive impact on them. They didn't have an established backup quarterback. They've had to go to a true freshman to step in and try and get it done. And he's finding his feet. He, he's really working through it. They haven't been absolute cupcake games. I mean, Tulsa's not a bad team. They're not great, but they're not a bad team. West Virginia, obviously, early on, you'd, you'd really like to establish against someone like Kansas maybe, uh, to, to kind of feed on that. So I think that's a big part of it. I think the offensive line too has struggled to gel earlier and that's been a big part of why they haven't been able to get that offense firing as they would like. So hopefully Spencer Sanders will be back up and around and you'll see the Cowboys humming for 45 plus in the near future. All right, we then head to Manhattan, Kansas. as Texas Tech take on the Kansas State Wildcats. Obviously, Kansas State coming off their massive win over Oklahoma. Texas Tech coming off their borderline heartbreaking, I suppose, loss to Texas. But 
this one to me is another fantastic, really interesting storyline. If it gets off the ground, like there's real potential here in the Big 12 that there's a lot of really good games. There's also potential this falls in a heap. And the reason for that is we know what Texas Tech are. They're an air raid team with Alan Bowman at the controls. He's a really good quarterback. He's going to make it to the NFL one day. He understands what they're trying to do there. Um, but we've seen this in seasons past with Texas Tech and another middling or lower middling teams across all conferences is they fire one shot for the year because they don't have the talent to be able to back it up week after week. And did they fire their shot last week or can they actually go into Manhattan and maybe get a win? I mean, you said it's borderline heartbreaking for Texas Tech. I, I think this is straight like Temple of Doom, arm in the chest and beating heart ripped out of body losing that one they had no right losing that game and and that's certainly going to have the potential to impact on this one the, the letdown after that on the flip side though you've got kansas state who have lost to arkansas state who are fucking woeful so they lost to that team and then they beat number four in the country oklahoma so if you can figure out what the fuck they're doing like I, I got no idea what's happening here. Uh, the, in that sense, it probably makes smarter play to side with the home team, but I'm going to go with Texas Tech. Just because, Really? Yeah, I, I, think, I think Tech will, uh, will win, and I'll touch on that later in my uh, bowl prediction. Well, I, I do like Yost as a quarterback, uh, sorry, as a head coach and offensive coordinator. Uh, he's a fantastic air raid guy and a really smart young coach. So I think he's great at Texas Tech. I don't know what how I feel. Like Skylar Thompson to me has been quite impressive through the air, but Texas, uh, sorry, but Kansas State we know have always been like a ball control, control the clock, play good defense sort of team, and they've actually. <laughs> done neither of those two things that well this year that you know juice vaughn kind of made some plays he's a five foot five running back and he did some kind of cool stuff but it wasn't consistent and it wasn't reliable in the running game they've had to rely on skylar thompson who has been good and i think this game goes one of two ways i think k-state defensively finally suffocate a a prolific offense and cause a heap of two, uh, a heap of turnovers and, and win this game that way or it goes to a shootout a massive like 50 all game again we see another big 12 shootout so i think that's the way that one goes all right pushing on number 18 oklahoma head to iowa state and oh if we thought either of these teams were going to get an easy ride after a scratchy start to their big 12 season they were wrong because both teams here. You've got Oklahoma State coming off a loss. You've got Iowa State and their disappointing start, followed by a win against TCU that appeared closer than it was because of a late score on the gun that allowed TCU to pull within three. But it was never really that close the whole way. Iowa State have got to believe themselves a chance at home. And, and I think both teams get an opportunity and see this as an opportunity for this to be a get-right game. Oklahoma can avenge their loss last week, go into Ames and crush this team, or Iowa State can hang around and actually get a win against an Oklahoma team that reared its ugly head in terms of poor defensive play in the second half and you know, go in and, and, and find some offensive success and go and get a win, not just hang close, but legitimately 
put Oklahoma in a really bad spot and put them behind in terms of Big 12 championship contention. Yeah, I mean, Ames, Iowa can be a difficult place to play, but the talent gap here is quite significant and, and it's enough to not be overlooked. So when, when we're talking that, we know Spencer Rattler was disappointing in key moments last game, but we also know he is an elite talent and has the ability to operate within this Lincoln-Riley offense and really put up a big score. And I fully expect Oklahoma to look to bounce back from that one, send a bit of a message, make sure that they put this one away. I mean, they would have looked at the film in the last game against Kansas State where they were, what was it, 34-10 to 10 up in the dying stages of the third yeah. And and there would be so many what if moments, you know, what if we had have called this here, or what if we had have done this better here, or they would have had so many opportunities for that game to still go their way, yet they they did lose it, but they will learn from that, and, and they'll see that, and I expect Oklahoma to come out on top fairly comfortably in this one. Yeah, I, I don't know, like what are, what are things you want from uh, teams on on the road you want good quarterback play and you want a good defense and Oklahoma hasn't proven either of those two things they got a freshman QB in his third start who struggled a defense that turned ugly late and on top of that you got an Iowa State team that probably claims the tape in both of those two things with Brock Purdy at the quarterback position is he the better quarterback well historically probably is Iowa State's defense better historically probably so I mean, I know they're more talented and the logic says that Oklahoma are going to win this game, but this is a genuine, you know, Big 12 conference on the line here a little bit for Oklahoma. They need to win this game. You have to go back a long way for the last time Oklahoma dropped two Big 12 games in a row. Yeah. The only other thing I'll say about this one is some of the shine has come off Matt Campbell in this Iowa State program over the last six months. Um and I think if if he's if Matt Campbell is serious about pushing into the upper echelon of college football as a head coach, and if Iowa State are realistic about their opportunity to make a make a move into the higher ends of of the Big Twelve, they need to win this game. I think you're not going to get too many better opportunities than this. So I expect Iowa State to fire their best shot and. I actually am leaning on the spot here towards the clones. I don't know why. They'll probably get smoked by 200 points now. But All right, anything else on the Big 12? So after all that, Will, what is the game that we should watch? Which is the one that everyone should be tuning into? Uh, Baylor, West Virginia for mine. Righto. Okay, let's jump into the SEC. Two games that aren't worth watching are LSU at Vandy and Arkansas at Mississippi State. Thoughts on those? No. Uh, no, yeah, LSU will bounce back and win that game, but I'm not so sure about not watching the Mississippi State-Arkansas game. I think that will be closer than most would expect. And also, You said KJ Costello was a really good quarterback, so there's well, no way this game's close. But I guess that's the thing too, that this Mississippi State team is going to be must-watch football every time they wheel out on the park because ah. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. So Hedging bets there. All right, there's also three other games in the SEC that I think are a little bit meh. Uh, South Carolina at number three, Florida. I think Florida dominate this one. The Kyle squared combination, that's Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts. 
Um, and then throw another K in there with Kadarius Tony. I mean, they look unbeatable at the moment, and Trask looks, or the Trask version of the Kyles, looks to play himself into Heisman contention this week. Unbeatable at the moment on the back of one game where they won by, what, 14 points against the team coming in with a new uh, head coach? That's this a big is statement, at home. my friend. They're at home. They were in complete control. The defense looked a little bit uh, different to what we expect from Florida defenses, but that... While I think Florida's good, there's also an aspect of me believing that South Carolina are not. Yeah, no, I like it. I Stick to your unbeatable guns and let's go out there and make some bold claims and get right behind them. That's what we're here for, dude. All right, Missouri at number one Tennessee. Sorry, not number one, number 21, Tennessee. I don't know that I'm that sold on Tennessee in this one, but it's it's at home. It's in that uh, Nailand Stadium, that big one there down in Knoxville but Missouri's offense is so bad so so bad that I have no concerns about Jared Quarantano being able to produce an okay performance like he did last week which will be that'll be enough to beat Missouri in this one yeah Missouri was certainly disappointing I mean now we're coming up against one of the best teams in the country so they were always in for a bit of a baptism of fire this year but Tennessee are much improved I I don't think they're going to find it any easier here and I also expect the Vols to come out on top the last game that I think is a bit meh is Ole Miss and Kentucky not because I don't think there's interest from a playing perspective you're an Ole Miss fan you've got to be excited by your start you've got to be excited about a new quarterback and those sorts of things but I just think from a national and conference relevance perspective this game is not that exciting Ole Miss will score too fast and too often for Terry Wilson who just struggled to push the ball consistently downfield and be able to score enough points and, and be able to manage this Rebels offense. There's a bit of Kentucky disrespect there. I think uh, home game for the Wildcats. They are a good football team. They go in as solid favorites as well. So I think this one is a good watch. I honestly don't know who's going to win. I am kind of like you. I think it will be Ole Miss, but the punters seem to, or the line makers seem to be backing the other side of that, which is always a concern. And I, I, I honestly think that you've got a clash of styles here that would be interesting to see how it plays out. So it's not one to, to skip over, and it's certainly one that I'll have on the periphery. All right, we've got a couple of big games in the SEC that are, well, one of them's framed up as a must-watch. I don't think it will be, but number two, Alabama, are hosting. Maybe if this game is in College Station, but it's not. They're hosting number 13, Texas A&M, and we've heard throughout the offseason, this is the year for Jimbo Fisher, his 70 million 10-year contract, and Kellen Mond will finally turn the corner, and Elijah Moore's a great wide receiver, and whatever. Alabama are going to dominate. If there's anything you want to add to this, we'll go. Yeah, look, I have been a big advocate of Texas A&M coming into this year. They were a team that I was looking to get behind and was really excited about. And after the week one flatliner against Vanderbilt, I'm not stepping away from that statement, but I'm certainly like finding the exit with my eyes. Like I'm looking around, I'm identifying (laughs) where it is and where I can sneak out to to make that because 
I have absolutely no confidence going into this game that they're going to be able to do what the great Johnny Football was able to do and, and beat this powerhouse Alabama team. It, it just, you can't see where it's going to come from. Kellen Mond is not the dynamic player I want him to be. Texas A&M are not, like, they're just not developing these superstars in the way that perhaps Florida have on the offensive side of the ball from what we saw in week one. Like, there was going to be an SEC team to make the jump. I backed in Texas A&M and... Oh, it, it looks like I may have made a misstep there. So we'll, we'll see. that They've got an opportunity to do it here, but this is going to be the toughest game outside of, uh, who was it, Virginia, who have to go to Clemson. Um, th- there's no one else who've got it harder this week. And the line being at 17 points kind of tells you everything you need to know. The, the bookmakers do not think this is going to be a close football game, and, and I think that's probably fair. Uh, just a quick one on this as well. Like in terms of our previews and, and a bit of data stuff, like I think it's a bit early to talk stats and that's why it's really, really hard because Texas A&M probably aren't going to be as sloppy or as flat. Like they're going to score more points than the 17 that they, that they put in the bank against Vandy. But it's, it's still really hard for me to get on and believe that Kellen Mond is going to do anything to really upset this Alabama defense to a point where they could actually win the game. The last game that is worth talking about is number four, Georgia. Welcome number seven, Auburn, to a battle between the hedges, a war between the hedges, a battle, something between the hedges. Something happens between the hedges um, in Athens, Georgia. I personally don't think this game's going to be that close. Again, I think both of these games are a fraction overrated. I think more of your interest comes in the Big 12. Georgia have the best defense in the country and the SP Plus rankings suggest that this is the case. Richard LeCount is the big name on defense that looks a little different to years past. There's a whole bunch of new names on that defensive side of the ball, um, but I think they're a really, really solid defense. They're well coached by Kobe uh, Kobe Smart, Kirby Smart, and they will continue to make life really, really hard for an Auburn offense that you know that I don't rate. Um, you know, we've got my boy, Joe Nix, again. You know, he's just he's just not that good. The running game has been really, really poor. Um, but here's a chance. If, it's, if there's ever a time for you, Joe Nix, come on, JoJo, you've got to show me something. Like, here it is, a big-time game, a big-time win. This is it. This is it. So Show te- me something. Are you telling me that if Bo Nix can pull out the win in this one, we're going to do away with the Joe Nix, you're going to do him the respect of calling him by his birth name? I think they're a chance in this one. I, I really oh. like Auburn as a sneaky chance. I Obviously, I don't think that they deserve to be favourites going into this one, and they're not, but I'm certainly not ruling them out. Like This is nowhere near the same one-sided affair that I expect Alabama and Texas A&M to be. No, neither do I, but that's because this isn't Alabama. This is, this is an Auburn team that wanted their leading rusher to be their quarterback who had five carries for 34 yards last week. That is not getting the job done. I'm sorry. You need to be able to run the ball. Gus, uh, Gus Malzahn, that's what you're there for. That's what you, you're there for. You're, you teach good running back play 
and you haven't had that for now two years straight. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like you might be being a little bit harsh on them. Let's not take the camera away from Georgia's first half effort against Arkansas, where they managed an entire five points there. Yes, they got it rolling after that, but there were certainly a few cracks in that side that showed them to be somewhat of a vulnerable team. Uh, I think that Auburn are a bit of a surprise packet and a wild card this year, and I've been saying that for a little while. So you know what wild cards do? They blow up in big spots, and this certainly is one of them. Uh, so I will absolutely be watching this game with great intent unless things start to go sideways quickly. Yeah, but I think like wild cards are Mississippi State, where you get freaky because you've got something freaky to offer. Auburn don't. Their their running game sucks. Their defense was mostly okay, except they gave up eight of ten third downs um, last week. So they need to tidy up that aspect of their defense. They don't even know the quarterback that they're facing, which may be a benefit, maybe not. And I think that probably advantage plays into Georgia because, you know, how many points are you going to need to beat this Georgia team? I I think, like, yeah, it could be a low-scoring dour SEC affair, but I just think Georgia are going to put on too many points with a better defense. And uh, I don't know. Auburn have got a quarterback that struggles in kind of in the big game so i've got no confidence in my boy jojo i like this mate the florida are unbeatable and auburn are shit house so it's good it's it's good strong feelings i love it i'm coming in hot all right the last game that i do want to mention because i think smu win this game is number 25 memphis head to dallas to take on the stangs is that what people call them i think they do um, to take on the Mustangs. But, but Sonny Dykes will have that SMU offense firing. And I think Memphis are not as good as they have been in the past because Mike Norvell's out of there for one. Uh, but I don't know if they're going to get the offensive firepower this year um, that they're after. This is certainly the group of five matchup of the week. And I'm kind of with you there. I wouldn't be surprised to see SMU get it done. They are having quite a balanced attack this year. So Shane Bouchelle is their obviously high-powered quarterback, but their running back, I forget his name, currently leads the NCAA in uh, rushing yards, I believe, which is a bit skewed because obviously some teams have played more than others. But uh, he's a true freshman. Uh, He's quite... Quite a, a small five foot eight kid from what I was reading up during the week, and he's putting up big numbers. So a bit of balance there. I'm trying to buy some time so you can. Bring Unless up, he's Bentley, the fourth. There we go. Yes. How do you not? How do I not remember that name? Well, that is like one of the great names. That ain't that ain't Mac Jones. That's Ulysses no. Bentley, the fourth. Seven TDs over 10 yards to carry 380 yards so far on the ground. What a boss! So he's one to watch <laughs> out for because he's going to keep this up all year. Shane Bichelle's gone for 850 yards so far as well. So scoring's not going to be a problem. Probably for, I say for either team, I've just said that Memphis probably won't put up the scores. I I think that their SMU offense is going to go too well in that space. All right, let's move along. Championship draft time. I love this. Uh, I've currently got a sack full of shit and Clemson at the moment. Um, I think I'm up first. I've got 22 bucks in the bank. Is that right? You do, yep. 
I'm picking. I'm buying Ohio State. Okay. So you've gone another blue blood. You're trying to fill up. They're currently in at six, so they're going to cost you twenty dollars. That's uh, as low as they're getting as well. So I think that's a good deal. I like your strategy there, mate. That's clever. So that leaves you with two bucks in the bank, twenty dollars there, and now you have Clemson and, and Ohio State and a bag of shit. So <laughs> and a bag of shit. Got to yeah. be happy with that. Um, on the back of that, I obviously picked up Virginia Tech for six bucks last week. They had a comprehensive victory <laughs> and went backwards and have dropped out of the ranking completely. <laughs> so fuck me, I have not played this well. I also sold I would, my I also sold Miami. I sold yeah. Miami for nine bucks, who are now what coming in at number eight, eight in the polls. So a value of eighteen dollars. I'm. It, it really reflects my real life stock trading, so yeah. I'm glad it's not just in financial aspects, but it carries over here. Um, I'm going to try and kind of hold with you here. Uh, I'm going to take Oklahoma for eight bucks. Uh, they have dropped down to watch, now number they're eighteen. Lose to Iowa State this week now. <laughs> Don't say that, but um, I'm going to grab OU because they're a team that I think this is as low as they get. I think that they're in a, a good shape to win out. I, I hope that they don't, but they're in a great shape to do that or as good a shape as any in the Big 12. So I think there's money to be made on them. I'll grab them in for eight bucks and I will have nothing in the bank. So nothing in the bank. What teams have you got? You've got Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. Cincinnati, App State and OU. So you've got two ranked, I've got... And two unranked, and I'm the same. Uh, no, I've got three ranked because I have Cincinnati. So, wait, say that again. Cincinnati, Notre Dame, OU, Virginia Tech. And App State. And App State. Yeah. Right. But so, I'm, you've got three, I've got... Yeah, okay. Yeah, because you sold one that I have. So, uh, I'm assuming you're not selling anyone this week. Uh, of my two dumpster fires? No, I'm probably <laughs> going to sit on Georgia Tech. I might sell Georgia Tech at some stage just so I can wash my hands of that. But yeah, I will keep them for the moment. I mean, there's no point in selling an unranked team, I suppose, is there? No, you are correct. All right, let's get into some bold predictions. Um, I'll let you kick this one off. I'm going in a different direction this week. So okay. you let me you get mine yourself. out of the way. My, my, my fairly regular one. So I, I'm saying that last week's Cinderella's are going to revert to pumpkins. <laughs> so we had a, a couple of massive upsets with Mississippi State doing LSU and Kansas State getting over the top of Oklahoma. I'm saying that they're both going to lose at home this week. So Arkansas <laughs> is going to beat Mississippi State. <laughs> <laughs> and Kansas State are going to Sorry. go down to Texas Tech. That is hysterical. I mean, K-State, Texas Tech, sure, but like, are Arkansas, are Arkansas going to score more than like 13 points? Look, just back it in, mate. Think, okay. Things are going to get weird for the Pirate and uh, Mississippi State and people are going to be scratching their heads going, I thought this was just 80 points a game every game. And, uh, it's not how it works. Okay, I'm going a special teams blunder. 
I'm going real specific here. So I'm picking the Texas A&M and Alabama game. And normally I steer away from Alabama in apparently big matchups because we know that Nick Saban just likes to crush people's hearts and souls anytime there's a big game. But and I, and I certainly don't think much of the Aggies this year. So this is definitely a situation where my prediction goes against what I actually think will happen because I think this gets out of hand early. So this is, to me at least, a little bit bold. I'm going to say the game will be close in the second half and Texas A&M are going to make a special team's mistake that leads to a score which is then the catalyst for the margin of victory blowing out. So it might be a missed field goal, a muffed punt, something strange that completely changes the momentum of the game. Uh, that is kind of my bold prediction for this particular week. Okay, that's it's kind of almost vague enough. But so, yeah. so at, at what point is that happening? Uh, it's got to be in this. So the game's got to be close in the second half. So I'm saying like A and M are lining up for a field goal to tie the game, or lining up for a field goal to go ahead, or they Alabama punts the ball back with. A&M with all the momentum and a chance to go down this field and score to take the lead. And then something fucked up happens on special teams and then Alabama just roll from there. Okay, so it's not something fucked up happens and then whoever is the beneficiary of that role, it is something fucked no. up happens and Alabama just trash. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, I've got a bit of a bonus bet for you. I'm saying BC beat UNC in a shocker. I would like to see that. I don't think North, it's North Carolina, big break. BC wanting to avenge their mess from last week. So I'm saying BC outright. Okay. All right. Let's go to the money-making time. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, 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 money. <laughs> All righty. So dollar, dollar. we dollar, are dollar. in that fun part of the game where normally I talk units. But I'm throwing that out the window because we're actually making money. It's, it sounds better units when you're losing because it's not real then. But when you're winning, you want it to be real money. So throwing units out the, the window and we're assuming that a unit was 100 bucks. So with that said, that leaves us... Did we with... assume that a unit was $100? Yeah, absolutely we did. Okay. All right. So that leaves us with $2,400 in the kitty at the moment. <laughs> Also indicating that week one, when we dropped all 10 units, we dropped a grand and got nothing back. Yes. Yes. So, $2,400 in, in the kitty really at the moment. It was my funny bone. Sorry. $2,400, and we're going to keep going with this let it ride theory. I like it. it, it it's brilliant. So, this week, I'm not like, well, I don't know how I feel about it, but you know it's going to be Oklahoma. That game there, Oklahoma, <laughs> we are putting... $2,000 on Oklahoma to beat Iowa State on the road at $1.38. Is this just outright? Just to win, yeah, okay. at $1.38. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah. Got to risk it. <laughs> so we're putting two grand there, and then with our remaining $400, we are placing that on Ole Miss to upset Kentucky at $2.85. Yeah, I see. I like that. I rate that. I don't think that game's going to be that close, personally. But yeah. Um, wow. Righto. The Oklahoma game scares me, but also not like it'll be a 20 point victory to Oklahoma and be like, yeah, well, obviously. So that's Precisely. what I said. And for. that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that. Well, obviously, that was yeah. why we put a large sum of money on it. So I'm. Mm. 
oh, scared but excited <laughs> for us. And uh, have you made this bet? Is it, uh, it is. I'll, I'll put it on right now, actually. <laughs> oh, God. So what, you can play us out, and I'll put it on, and you'll see the sweat start to build on my forehead. Obviously. Um, wow. Well, that does bring us to the end of the show. And just to give Will a little bit of good luck, I'll play that one well in, well in advance to make Will feel a little bit more confident so that he can have some more money in the bank. But that does bring us to the end of our week four recap show. We've, gee, we've covered a lot of ground here tonight. Please make sure that you do hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CFB Down Under. We're always up for a chat. We're always keen to be in touch. And um, please make sure you do interact on those spaces because that's what we're here for um on top of that please do leave reviews subscribe tell all your friends tell all your family all the usual stuff around our social media and podcasting stuff please do all of those things on behalf of that guy over there who is probably going to lose us a whole heap of money i say us i mean him a whole heap of money Uh, That is Will. My name's Aaron and we will see you next time. How those sweat beads going, Will? 760 bucks to make. (laughs) 